Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's FYP podcast. There's a lot to talk about and we're delighted to have you with us this week and we hope you're well. Just a couple of topics to talk about this week, um, but before we get into last night's huge match against Sheffield United, talk about where next for Palace, give you an update as we approach the end of the transfer window, including arrivals of a new right back and an exciting talent from the championship, all while making sure we find time to talk about Saturday's trip to see our friends on the coast Fresh from their disastrous midweek trip to Kenilworth Road, and I will try and pepper that in a few times during this week's episode. Before I introduce this week's panel, FYP wanted to mark the passing of a man who meant a lot to a lot of Palace fans, Mel Blythe, who sadly passed away a few weeks ago, aged 79. Mel played over 250 times for Palace, which sees him inside the top 40 of the club's appearance makers. After joining from Scunthorpe in 1968, Blythe was a key member of the promotion-winning side, becoming a mainstay at centre-half. Famously, Blythe became the scorer of Palace's first-ever top-flight goal against Manchester United in August 1969. After leaving Palace in 1974 to join Laurie McMenemy's Southampton side, where he would win the FA Cup in 1976, Blythe would return to Palace later in his career to play under Terry Venables in a short loan spell. But it was his first spell that cemented his Palace legacy. FYP's best wishes go to Mel's loved ones, as we wanted to recognise the passing of a key figure of such a treasured Palace side. Okay, let's get back to the events of Tuesday night and much more. Joining us this week are a man who steered us through some incredibly choppy waters last week, so I'm pleased that we won last night for his sake more than most, is your friend of mine, Joe Walker. How are you, Joe? Much better, thank you. Uh, <laughs> given Given the tone... I remember saying, after that recording, I was saying, I, I'm dreading that Sheffield United game. I'm dreading what happens if we concede first. And yeah, by, by the time, even by the time we got to kickoff, I was given the progress made off the pitch or the, the public progress anyway. I felt well, I'm way more calm. I'm way more relaxed. And then the three points on top of it, even in the circumstances, has left me in a, a zen that I've not felt for quite some time. Zen night. We'll, we'll try and continue the Zen throughout the episode. Okay. Uh, joining Joe and I is a man who has been at the forefront of all things Palace 
related this transfer window. It's our very own 21st century man, Edmund Bracker, the South London Press. Brackers, thanks for joining us uh, on an evening where I'm sure your phone is blowing up. So um, we'll, we'll try and uh, keep the questions to a minimum. Um, but, but how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Jack. Yeah, very well indeed. Um, better than the first 21 seconds of yesterday, but we'll sure we'll touch on that in a minute. But yeah, pleasure to be on as always. So thank you for asking me back. Thanks, Brackers. And uh, we will talk transfers, I'm sure, throughout the episode. Um, a quick message wait. from our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so just a few things going on, as uh, as is typical with yeah. Palace in any transfer window. Uh, better late than never. Um, quick message from our sponsors, Green King Sport. 2024 is upon us, which means a packed schedule of FA Cup, AFCON, which has been blinding. Um, and of course, Premier League action. Beat the January Blues and watch every game with the atmosphere it deserves down at your local Green King Sports pub. Don't settle for a dodgy stream. If it's on the telly, it's on at your local Green King across their huge HD screens. If you download the Green King Sports app, you'll also receive 10% off every single drink whenever there's a game on. Their venues offer a range of low and no alcoholic options, so dry January doesn't mean you have to settle for a worse sports-watching experience. Also another shout-out for Neil Warnock's live show, Are You With Me?, which is on the 8th of June at Plough Lane. Details of how to grab your ticket will be in the show notes. For a taster, and if you've not yet listened to the uh, episode that we did with Neil, uh, released earlier this month, our interview with Neil is still available. And finally, before we get into it, a request for any Palace fans that can get to Selhurst next Thursday, the 8th of February, to support our under-18s as they take on Chelsea in the FA Youth Cup. After thumping Hull away uh, from home earlier in January, um, Palace have uh, quite a tie at home, so you are free and can get to it. Tickets are available for uh, for from £1, and all information is on the Palace website. Okay, onwards, let's finally get into it. Joe, after the positive news of one signing being confirmed by Palace and another being very close to completion, there was an air of optimism around the place on Tuesday. That went inside 21 seconds, as Ed just touched on. Uh, Not quite the so-solid start we perhaps hoped for. A Mm -hmm. bonkers first half, really. Yeah, and I thought thought it was a credit to the crowd, actually, that it was so absurdly early that all the fears of if we'd have gone one behind half an hour in, let's say, or, or a bit later in the game, anyway, beyond the first minute, it might have been frosty than it was. I, th- I think it was more laughter around where I was, actually, just being like, That's, this is the most abs- ridiculous start to the game we could have made. A pretty good goal, I'll, I'll grant. Yeah, gallows humour, almost. Yeah, pretty yeah. much so. And then from there, I don't know if it's a chicken and egg thing, but... The team's response was so impressive, I thought. Because two to at half time, we hammered them first half, I would say. Like we, they couldn't get out. Of, uh, Will Hughes is pressing up really high, playing a really good game, um, which, you know, haven't been able to say that a lot for him this season. Um, well, the response was so strong. And then getting the goal pretty soon after, and even one mine again. I think the crowd went with that. The The... The, the kind of nerves or anxiety that could have grown and spread after that first goal anyway, even the second, really. Mm. The performance of the team and the response was so good that I think the crowd just went with it, knowing that in time we will break this team down. We're going to hurt them. We're, we, we're all over them. And in the end, we got there. But yeah, it, it, that, it was, I was really surprised at how quickly we, the team and the fans just dusted off that start. 
Yeah, it was... Uh, I mean, I, I thought as they scored, as they walked back to the centre circle, Sheffield United having celebrated wildly as, as they would do, um, I did wonder whether the adage of they've scored too early might come back to bite them, not seeing that they would score again within the next 15, 20 minutes. Martin Hayes, and, and Martin is a, a, a big fan of us, so thank you, Martin, for your question. Um, he would quite like to hear an analytical view on what quite uh, sorry what went wrong for the first goal. Um, other than the obvious, uh, it looked like we were caught napping. I mean, Brackers, I, I just thought it was just really well played by Sheffield United, but it was the most on-the-back-foot goal that a team who don't take kickoff could concede. I, I don't recall us actually touching the ball in that 21 seconds. I might have that wrong, because no, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I think I was still looking at my phone a little bit as the, uh, as the game yeah. kicked off. We lost it, in the, didn't we lose it in the centre circle? But anyway, the problem sort of stems from Chris Richards playing at right back. I, obviously, I listened to the post-match pod with Selzy, and for me, Chris Richards' best games and looked like somewhere he'd been improving week on week have been in that linchpin role just in front of the back four. I think he swept, sweeps up really well. He's got the athleticism to sort of break it up. But yesterday, he was just tucked in too narrow. He he, he allowed Ben Berrett and Diaz to, to run at him. Um to shift it onto his his right foot and, and get aim of goal really. There was no closing down, no he offered it. He offered him the chance to do it. I'm not sure whether he didn't know who he was or whether he thought he'd have the ability to do it from that sort of range. But um I mean he, I watched him multiple times in the championship and he's he's deadly when he gets onto his right foot. He's a very, very good striker. Um playing wide obviously for Sheffield United in that role. But um yeah just one was it one pass, two passes, and done. It's in the back of our net. There's not a lot we can do about it. Um, it's a it's lovely. Been a bit was of that Hamer recently? Or was it Hamer in the middle who played that lovely half pass? Yeah, that was lovely. And yeah, and I watched him do it. I watched him do it for Coventry at the start of the season against AFC Wimbledon. He, he controls games really well, obviously on a different stage, but his passing ability is is excellent. Um, yeah, but it's been a it's been a bit of a theme recently. Our our defense hasn't been as structured and as well good as it has been in, in previous weeks. We've, we've started really slowly in Premier League games. Um, something we need to work on. Obviously, Sheik Decore is a, a massive miss in terms of screening that that midfield area. And I think when Will Hughes is playing, we saw it against Everton and we saw it against Luton uh, earlier on in the season. It doesn't really track the runs very well. It leaves a lot of open space, especially in front of that back four when one of Gahey or Anderson presses forward they immediately get taken out of the game because there's no CDM in front of them. So um, that was the problem and that Sheffield United exploited it really well and uh, Palace had a, a bit of a mountain to climb after after the sloppy start. Luckily for you two, I do know who so solid crew are. So, I, <laughs> you know, in previous weeks, I know it's... I know in previous weeks, you've, you've been left dumbfounded at my inability okay. to know some of them. But I do, I do know who they are. We know the so solid crew you've got, but Bross... No, nothing. A couple of weeks ago. Okay, no, fine. Free, That's <laughs> fine. We'll, we'll stick with the. We'll stick with what you know. Then, in that case, let's talk about that mountain and how we climbed it. Because Brackers, I wanted to talk about Ebbs because two great goals. Um, but from where I was, he, there were elements of that first half where he actually flattered to deceive a little bit, and, and parts of the game were, were almost passing him by. And, and within, obviously, as is the case with some things in football, within thirty seconds of him scoring that goal, I'd said that he needed to get in the game quite vociferously and when he scored you know a bit like uh, as Joe said the reaction to um to the goal the, the first goal Sheffield United scored it was just a lot of laughter about really I think everyone was just finding it such a peculiar first 15 minutes or so that people were just um in quite good spirits despite being one nil down and and equalizer but in terms of ebbs the first goals kind of highlights his uh threat as he enters the box late but the second one is just 
that kind of instinctive strike from outside the box. Um, we'll come on to Michael Elise, but that was the first of Michael Elise, or oh, sorry, the second of Michael Elise's assists, which I think, uh, yeah, he's done some light lifting there for, for Ebbs. But in terms of Ebbs specifically, do you think it's a case of him being close to his best, or do you see that there are still elements of his play that you want to see improvements with. It sounds daft to say when he scored two goals and, and was as impactful as he was in those moments, but are there still elements of his game you think he, he could tidy up and, and still improve further? It's an interesting point. I think in that Arsenal game, I thought he was back to his best. I thought he was ex- the, the one bright spark from a very, very bad day was was Eberichiezo's performance. He was sort of, if we were going to do anything, it was from our one player on the pitch who could actually do something with the football. Um, yesterday, I think you're right, he wasn't really involved too much, but Michael Elise had three successive sort of opportunities or sights at goal or crosses, um, three sort of goal-creating chances. And from that moment, they sort of switched it a little bit. I think I think they started to double up on, on Elise a bit more. That gave Eze a bit more room. Then it gives him the opportunity. He creeps in for the first one. And then for the second one, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful strike. But it's criminal as well. He's been allowed, he's been afforded that time and space on the edge of the box. I mean, the marking and the sort of blocking uh, of the shot was diabolical. But having said that, the way he shifts it onto his left foot and just curls it is is world class. And that's, that's what Crystal Palace has been missing this season. You know, very often we have one world-class individual or no sort of world-class individual on the pitch and then we get these two and and when those two are in full flow it's it's beautiful it's just the problem is at the moment when you're missing shake the core as well there is no screen to to help with the defensive ability so we're going to concede some goals um I, I know we'll probably touch on we will touch on Adam Walton in a bit I don't think Adam Walton's gonna cure our our screening in front of the back four. I've watched a lot of him in terms of clips and stuff in recent weeks. He doesn't look like that sort of player, but um, I'm sure we'll touch on that in a bit anyway. But yeah, in terms of Ebbs, excellent with his finishes, but I do agree. I thought maybe a little bit in and out of the game, but when you've got him and Michael on the the pitch at the same time, both of them can create something out of of absolutely nothing. And that's that's what Rory Hodgson has been missing this season. I'll let Joe wax lyrical about the other of that dynamic duo in a moment, but I think it's worth qualifying for, for people that weren't there last night and, and perhaps haven't even seen the highlights. Some of Sheffield United's defending last night was quite something um, to the point where you could query whether it would be championship level, let alone Premier League level. And we have a discussion on the way home last night as to where Sheffield United might sit in terms of maybe the worst Premier League teams you might see. They had a couple of moments, they had a couple of bright sparks, but they're not quite at the Derby County 0708 level, um, but maybe hovering around Reading from maybe was it 2011, 2012 round around that bit because there were some elements of that almost last night, which was perplexing. The obviously Ebbs has a lot to do when he gets the ball outside the box, but to even be given the uh, the space to make room for himself to have that shot was um was quite something. But Joe, let's not talk about Sheffield United anymore. Let's talk about Michael Lise. And I've just given Bracker's chance to uh, to wax lyrically about Ebbs. Um, so I'll ask you to wax lyrically about Michael Lisa, who had another fantastic showing in a Palace shirt last night. Yeah, it, it, it's to to the point where the moment he comes off, you go, oh, like, are we, is there some cruel curse where there's like a monkey's paw where you're allowed to, Crystal Palace can have Michael Lisa for an extra season. One finger goes down, but then it's, but for, for only three months of the season, because he's not fit. Um, he, the stats that he's doing, the productivity of a player that silky and easy on the eye is quite unusual, I would say, 
particularly at where we are. I think we, we're very used to wide players or creative players that there's going to be games and runs of games where they're crowded out. They're not going to have the joy. The uh, connect, connection with the teammates might not be on the same thinking level. Let's think even if you go way back, I remember the extreme example would be Tilio Lombardo and Bruce Dyer, for example. <laughs> they're not on, they're not on different wavelengths. And given some of the forward options we have, you could be excused for Michael Lee say this season, not getting much joy out of those forwards, despite his best efforts. And yet when he plays, when he's on song like that, and that all the, whenever he's been fit this season, he has been on song. There's not been a bad game, I would say, since he started at Luton. We have created goals. He has created goals and he has even scored goals. The cross for the first Eze goal, it wrote the whole the the combination reminded me. Do you remember Brentford away, one of Patrick Vieira's last games? I think Ebb's actually name checked that exact same goal last night. Yeah, it it um a totally different finish, but yeah, the, yeah. the run and the that tech, that style of cross, which I mean, I'm a, not a very good defender, but I, if I was to play, I would play there. That's a kind of unplayable cross for me because you think, oh, if I get my head on this, it's going in. I'm running backwards. It's just a nightmare. The keeper doesn't really want to commit to anyway. I mean, the keeper is on the other side of the goal when that goes that, in. That's what I mean in terms of Sheffield United. Just the goals that we scored last night, particularly the first two, just look so bizarre from a defending perspective that live in the ground, it almost took away from the the excellence of the, particularly the first goal. I don't think I appreciated it live watching it, how good a goal that was because of where the goalkeeper ended up. I thought, oh, well, that's a, a goal by default because the goalkeeper's lost his head. It's a fantastically weighted cross, as you say, and, and Ebbs' finish is, is far harder than he probably gave the impression of it. It was a fantastic finish. Um, Michael Lise became uh, the first Palace player in Premier League history. And sorry, obviously I have to reference the football existed before the Premier League. But he was the first player last night to um, complete three uh, goal contributions, I think that the term is, uh, in terms of Optus, so it's a goal or an assist. He's the first Palace player to do that twice. Obviously the first was at Ellen Road. Um, back in April, but last night was uh, the second one. Um, although, as I touched on a moment ago, uh, the first assist or the second assist, it, yeah, it's kind of bordering Martin Kelly getting an assist for Wilfred Zaha's bicycle kick against Swansea or Connor Wickham getting the assist for Jordan Ayew's solo goal against West Ham yeah. in 2019. <laughs> but still, fair enough. Michael Alisa, you are a star and we love you. I just want to throw, it's, it's not really a question, we had a comment from uh, Jamie Robin Baxter uh, again. Maybe Gallo's humour is going to be the theme of, of this episode. But uh, Jamie asks, um, is it is desperately... Uh, sorry, I'll start again. Jamie asks, is desperately over-relying on two players progress from desperately over-relying on one player? Uh, obviously referencing the uh, the previous era of give the ball to Wilf. But I think, and we will come on to this in, in part two, the difference of this team when those two are playing compared to when those two players are not is about as stark as I can recall seeing any top-flight team. Um, the moment that Elise went off last night, the game changed. The moment six or seven minutes later when Ebbs followed him off the pitch, it was like a different sport was being played. And the quality of the overall game reduced massively. It wasn't just our performance. The quality of the game reduced as a whole. But we'll talk about that more in question. We have a couple of questions about the substitutions and our approach to that last 15, 20 minutes. And, you know, let's keep the positive vibe of the first part um, going. And, and Brackers, I'm going to um, ask you to maybe draw us to the close of part one by kind of giving us an overview of what's been a busy few days for the club. Obviously, no less than with a pivotal league match uh, yesterday. But 
yeah, just if you could shine a light on what's been a, a productive few days in terms of incomings, uh, and then also maybe reference a couple of the outgoings that we've had with maybe younger members of the squad um, getting a few key loan moves, um, and then maybe give us an indication as to whether you think there could be anything, particularly coming in uh, with what have we got left. I think the window closes at 11 o'clock on Thursday. It's currently 25 past eight. So what's that, about 26 and a half hours to go? But sorry, no pressure. But if you could uh, keep the spirit alive, that'd be great. <laughs> <clears throat> well, in terms of, of the incomings, obviously Daniel Munoz already already confirmed. I've been crying out for an attacking right back for, for years. I mean, you see it so much in the Premier League these days. Palace's team has been lopsided for for a while. You obviously Mitchell has the ability to go forward, but can't always do it because you leave the team imbalanced. You have Michael Elise there now, and you always see him looking for where the right back or where the overlap's coming from. It's quite a mouth watering thought to, to think that someone like Daniel Munoz, who has around forty goal contributions and one hundred and forty ish. Uh, appearances for Genk is going to be overlapping uh, Michael Elise in, in the coming weeks and months. Um, in terms of Adam Wharton, uh, very, very highly rated. Been watching clips of him. Looks like the sort of championship De Bruyne, the way that he can thread a pass. I wouldn't <laughs> no, say that No he's... pressure, Adam. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wouldn't say... I can see very, very clearly why Dougie Freeman's been chasing him for, for so long. It looks like a very, very talented youngster. Um in terms of what I think he'll bring to the team, I think that the plan could be for one of Jefferson Lerma or Chris Richards to stay in that midfield role just in front of the back four. He doesn't look like a defensive midfielder to me. He looks more like a number a number eight who can sort of press and, and join in the, on, on the attack with, with Everett Chiesa and with the th- two of those threading passes for Michael Elise and potentially one other attacking winger and Jean-Philippe Mateta with the hold-up play that he's found in recent weeks since he's become the number one striker. Um it could be very, very exciting for what Crystal Palace could be. I don't know whether Adam Wharton would jump straight in. It's, it's hard to tell. Obviously, if he comes in and absolutely runs them off the pitch in training and, and is absolutely everywhere and everyone's saying this kid is special, like Everett Chiesa did when he came to Crystal Palace, it'd be hard for Roy Hodgson not to start him. But um, in terms of the here and now, Daniel Munoz, in terms of the future and even potentially the now, Adam Wharton is a very, very exciting signing. Obviously, a little like medical was was done yesterday and, and today. Looks like that should be signed and off either some point tonight or, or first thing tomorrow morning, hopefully. So, um, yeah, two really exciting signings. In, in terms of outgoings, uh, obviously, as we before we recorded this pod, you're looking at someone like Sam Johnson. Um, he's probably thinking he's lost his well, he's lost his starting spot, hasn't he, in Crystal Palace's team, and he might be thinking that his England spot is now dangerously under threat due to the fact that Dean Henderson is is de facto Roy Hodgson's number one at this minute in time. Um, what, what's Sam now, 30? Something along those lines. So um, Nottingham Forest are obviously looking for a goalkeeper. They've sold a player to Lyon, which is going to allow them the, the opportunity to do this. I know they're up against it in terms of their FFP, but that will give them some breathing room. Um other outgoings, uh, potentially Jezza and Raksaki. That would depend on Crystal Palace bringing in another winger. I don't, you know, I feel for Jez in some respect because his his season's been been hampered multiple times. Whether that's not going to Leicester and tearing it up this season, mm. and then when he you look like he's going to get an opportunity in our first team, he picks up that horrendous hamstring injury and he's sidelined for a while. So um, obviously, I wrote on was, was he close to Southampton? About, was he close to the Southampton? Deal, he, was, he was an option they were option they were looking at. They've gone for David Brooks in the end, but 
Um, Jez was was one they're definitely looking at. I think, to be honest, you could probably drop in any championship team you wanted to, and, and they're probably inquired about Jez or Ratsaki. That's how hotly in demand he is. He was excellent at Charlton. Um, I think a few of the Charlton coaching staff at the time thought he could actually make the step up instantly to the Premier League, probably jump the championship. Um, obviously not not happened because of injuries and had to win Roy Hodgson's trust. But if he went out now, he'd I'd back him to absolutely rip it up. I, I would have probably cancelled his chart and loan six months early and, and moved into the championship instantly. But you know, in terms of other potential outgoings, obviously Adamola Oladabomi has gone to Burton, great loan for him. And Teo Adamola has gone to Molenbeek, which is a really crucial loan for him because, as we all know, the Coventry run didn't go to plan. He had to come back, rebuild his his confidence and and sort of, as I was watching him for the under-21s, game by game, he got better. Um, the interesting question now is with David Ozo as well, with Adam Morton coming in, what's going to happen with him? Plymouth showed serious interest in him um, before the start of the window. They've gone in different directions because he wasn't going to be allowed out. But I wonder whether Palace might look at it now. I think potentially he could go somewhere. I think it'd be too tough for him to go. And, and in terms of what he showed yesterday, he looks like he's he's involved in Roy's plans. Uh, Malcolm Everway is also potentially another one to go tomorrow, but it, the things have to fall into place. And Jack Wells Morrison, but you know, it's it's hard for it's hard for youngsters to get their first loan, especially in January, because nobody's and and brackets of what the club have also done, it's been noted that they've ended loan spells at certain clubs and moved players to other clubs, maybe because those initial loan spells yeah. weren't working. Killian Murphy um has got uh, a loan move to Aberdeen, although I note today that Aberdeen have changed their manager. Barry Robson's been sat there, so he's oh. got a bit of a Martin Kelly moment there where he's turned up and seen the manager. Uh, leaving the car park probably, um, and the other one is is Kamani Gordon, who uh, again yes. a, a going to a club that you see quite regularly too, and, and you'd expect him to get minutes there, would you? They've been very impressed with John Kamani Gordon from everything I've heard, heard, and when I watched him on Saturday against Mansfield, I thought he was the best player for the first sixty minutes on the pitch. Really, really impressive, um, and they're going to rely on him now because Ali Al Hamdi has been sold, so there's going to be chances for him to get minutes and, and rebuild his confidence because we all saw the quotes from. Um, uh, Neil Harris about John Kamani Gordon about why he didn't come on and obviously that's going to knock his confidence so coming to Wimbledon a local lad back in South London it can only do him the world of good um, so yeah that is I think a round up potentially more incomings tomorrow I'm sure they're working on on things I think they'd like to get a forward done so let's see what happens could be a busy day see. I, th- I think um, that there may well be a further FYP transfer round up later in the week possibly not to make work for Rob and the gang but um, it might be something. Um, we'll talk more about Adam Wharton and Daniel Munoz as we um, go through the pod. But the Wharton signing is, I guess, another, Joe, to ask you, another kind of dipping into the championship market and 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 speculating to accumulate, maybe, in terms of getting £80 million isn't a fee to be sniffed at. But um, in terms of what people are talking about, this, this lad's potential, it could look a very shrewd investment in years to come. Yeah, given... Given the the talk, certainly from Parish publicly about it's looking like loans only this this window, which we all took pretty poorly, obviously naturally, um, for the for that for that sort of money to suddenly be appear from under the sofa was a pleasant surprise, and it but seems totally worthwhile for a player that Blackburn fans look gutted about. Were um, I think the initial fee that was reported was 15 and they were going, that's not enough. And it was a consistent enough message that level-headed people believed it. And I thought he must be some player then, you know, and this, this is not a, this is a Blackburn Rovers side that are, have a bit of financial problems at the moment. 
If, I, I was stunned to find out that Venkis was still in charge at Blackburn. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Shirt sleeve sponsor. Yeah, and I've since listened to The Price of Football with our very own Kevin Day. And yeah, for years they've actually been, they funded that club despite all the relegations and, and whatnot and kept it going. Um, but they finally having some issues. And so you could have forgiven them for just biting on the first money offered maybe. But the fact that we've paid this much and it isn't seen as predatory or anything like that shows you the mark of a player. I I feel like our record in championship signings, we've only like certainly in the last couple of years, other than what maybe Luke Plange and Malcolm's not gone the way necessarily, but other than that, that these we've had a good work with between Michael and Ebbs and even Mark Gay, I would yeah. class as yeah, we're I looking think... at the best players in the championship that season. His yeah. loan at Swansea is what gets the move to Palace essentially. Yeah. yeah. And Wharton's very much in that sort of conversation. It's like we've Opened up. I don't. Know, they still do it four four two. The the best players in the football, hundred best players in the football league pull pull out special issue. So we've opened that and gone. How much is he? How much is he? Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> and it's great. And I, I I think the the pipeline from the best championship players to the Premier League is really bizarrely even now. I know that the value isn't necessarily there. I mean, not to tail off. Lazio have put in bids for three championship players in the last week. Um, I saw uh, who else is like just that that tells you where the other leagues Premier League players are, are not in the market not in the value for big overseas teams and the championship is still they all their bids are rejected by the way so yeah. Lazio can't buy Plymouth players so it's still not great value but despite that the money that is spent by Premier League clubs not necessarily in January but elsewhere elsewhere the, the other window anyway I'm always surprised that how little is spent actually the best players in the, the division down. It doesn't, it's almost like they wait for a team like us to prove, show that within a couple of months that they're, they're not ready for that level and then pay a hundred million or something stupid for them. I just, I find it really bizarre and any opportunity that we are able to take advantage of other clubs, hesitancy or frugality. Brilliant. I've got no, you know, in our track record, I've got no fear of this, of, of this, not working out, I guess, as long his, as he's fit. His current manager, John Dal Thomason, so fair, who I still think is probably 25 and playing for yeah. Feyenoord or someone, yeah, but anyway, yeah. uh, the current Blackburn manager said that on the ball, he's Champions League. Uh, off the ball, he's still learning the game, and that's um, that's going to come with with experience. But for a player like John Dal Thomason, who you know played for amongst other clubs, AC Milan, um, he's a, he was a, a pedigree striker, scored... Tons of goals across Europe, played for you know a very decent Danish side. I trust his instinct. If he's seeing a player that um, is playing in the second tier in English football but thinks the guy could play Champions League football, then that's good enough for me um, and we'll see where we go. And despite, I say Jack, despite the, despite the criticism that he gets, who better over the next few months to drill in some off the ball discipline than Roy Blooming Hodgson? Let's be yeah. honest. Like I, yeah. that, that actually sounds like a nice, if you're the sporting directors, if you're the board and you're worrying about parting with that kind of money and you're hearing that feedback, what's more reassuring than knowing that Roy's boring drills are going to actually sort that right out. It's a very fair point there. Cause I think there's been a lot of chat so far that Roy won't use him between now and the season and we'll later on in this episode talk about how Roy might use him but what you will get from Roy is exactly that Joe you will get this guy being drilled at a very high level 
um, and familiarity with playing with a bunch of players that we hope the majority of whom will still be at this club for a couple of years to come at, at the very minimum. So exciting signing. And um, uh, my ego had a slight stroke uh, last uh, weekend when the, when the news broke um, that we were signing. But somebody in an ancient stag do WhatsApp group that I'd commented um, before the stag do watching uh, Millwall self-destruction at home to Blackburn. Oh, yeah. I said, how much for the Blackburn 36? Because there was a Blackburn fan in the group. And they remembered that I'd made comment about him and that I'm obviously a Palace fan. And they reminded me that I'd, I'd picked him out. So, I don't know. Palace, if you need someone else in the recruitment team, you know, call, call me on. I did also think Alex Marrow was going to be the next coming. So maybe we ignore all did. me on that it's one. It's okay. We all did, though. We all did. And we actually had a question from, uh, from Mark Williams Evening, Mark, um, <laughs> who asked, will Adam Wharton be the next Jeff Thomas or the next Alex Marrow? I think we're all hopeful um, that it's uh, more along the Jeff Thomas line. Although there was a lot of love for Alex Marrow, who I think was the last signing we made from uh, Blackburn Rovers in terms of midfield. Scott Dan, obviously, was was one that we did sign for Blackburn. Anyway, we're starting to ramble. Um, we'll draw part one to an end there. Thank you, gents. That was way more positive than last week, Joe. Um, oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm feeling better than, than we were last week. So that's all good. Um, listener, thanks for sticking with us. Go grab yourself a drink, and we'll be back in part two with your questions. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the FYP podcast, sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. It's time for your questions, listener, and we've had plenty. So thank you to everyone who's contributed their questions after last night's game. Um, Our first question comes from Gareth Davis, who asks, why do you ask for questions every week, but rarely bother to read them out? (laughs) It's a very uh, fair question, Gareth. Sometimes we do ask uh, fewer questions than we maybe hope, but that's because by the time we've got to questions, um, we've realised that we've hit an hour. And sometimes we just go on, Joe. <laughs> I, I, I'll take full responsibility for this. When, depending on who is hosting, we go and source the questions that have been asked. I wasn't aware that questions were being called out for on Facebook, on Instagram. So I've only ever been taking them from tweets. So uh, please forgive me if you've you've on the on weeks that I've hosted. Uh, you've asked questions on platforms other than X slash Twitter because I've totally missed them and that's my fault. That's that's where that's come from. I, I would hope that's where that's it, come from. It, it's all good. I think what we do do with the questions is even because we set the script and then we, which sounds more professional than it probably sounds like, listener, but honestly, we do do some prep for this. And uh, what your questions do give is an idea of the general listenership's thoughts on things so we hope even if we don't ask you questions specifically we hope we cover the topics you guys want covered and um we will try and chuck a few more questions in as we go but joe um joe we, it's all it's all learning baby it's all learning oh, yeah. for us yeah. all learning can't have the gloss of jim daly every week you know it's, it's all good right. it takes years <laughs> years years of training yeah. in a mountain takes top. 500 episodes yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but we are very grateful for your questions so 
when we do shout out for questions, please do continue to chuck your thoughts to us because they are really helpful and it does give us an indication as to what you're thinking. But on to questions that have been asked this week. And uh, Fred Behardian, um, this is the question that I was referring to earlier in terms of let's turn the focus on that last 20 minutes last night because it was awkward watching. Um, and I think a lot of people think the substitutions that were made contributed massively to it. So Fred Behardian, how does Schlupp always get a game? That's the first kind of question. Uh, which uh, relates to the matter. And then Battle Johnny makes a point in terms of, I like Roy, but if we're not bringing on Franca whilst winning at home, should we just sell him tomorrow? Now, I think this is the, the, the probably biggest criticism that Roy is facing in terms of, of that substitution last night, that there's a big appreciation that Michael Lise probably only had 70 minutes in his legs last night. And there is some consideration of a big game coming this Saturday. Um, and not to bash Jeffrey Schlapp over the head too much, because we really don't want to do that. Um, although he, he wasn't fantastic when he came on last night. But I think because the thoughts that Franca wasn't being used last night, that's obviously frustrated a lot of people. Um, but given we went 3-2 up, and it was only 3-2, but Michael Lise's legs could give no more, I thought the substitution the kind of build-upon take of that lead that could have been made that was probably more positive than Jeffrey Schlupp coming on might have been Odson Edouard to go left and for him to come on and still provide a degree of goal threat that, unfortunately, Jeffrey Schlupp just does not provide. Um, Joe, your thoughts on, on, well, a reflection on your thoughts at the time and then 24 hours later, how are you feeling? Because obviously that sub followed by Ebbs, who I presume the plan was not to pull after 80 minutes and the plan was really to give him the full 90. But given that the substitution of, of Schlupp for Lise was followed by David Ozo for, for Eze a few a few moments later. Yeah, what were your thoughts at the time? And then 20, 24 hours later, um, or thereabouts, what were your thoughts now? At the time, I, I winced because that was, well, as, as great as the crowd were in the first half, that change lost a lot of the people in the crowd. It was vociferous. Like it was booing. Let's be honest. It wasn't just this dissent. It was there was booing, and you can't also. I, I, which I'm never on board with because booing the manager's decision there. Fine. You it does even though the player probably knows that coming on. Jeffrey Schlupp is hearing himself being booed coming on. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't control how he takes that in and interprets that. And it's I don't see any reason why I'd want to do that to a player of ours that's about to step onto the pitch. Um, my thoughts now, having also, by the way, listened to the post-match pod where probably the biggest ding-dong they've had on there in a while, Rob Sutherland versus Selzy on, on this subs. Well worth the subscribing just for this month. Just do this month, guys, done. and then check out. Oh, my goodness. Incredible. Listen. But... Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast if you're interested, listener. Yeah, and it's a, a really good uh, microcosm of how some people think about, you know, that particular area of Roy's decision-making and in substitutions. I I can understand Schlupp going on. Roy's risk-averse, we know that, and to his, you know, that will be to his downfall or, or what's kept him in the game for so long, that, you know, depend on how you interpret things. I think even with a goal lead, his instinct is probably, right, we've got something to hold. Let's just do that. And Schlupp is somebody he trusts still, for whatever reason. I think the problem with that, shortly followed by the Ozo sub, even though I really like Ozo and I thought, you know, he got stuck in, you, there was no out ball. And we, we went from having two great players that could hold on to the ball 
Ayu's kind of run out of energy by that point too. So sorry to jet, but that that's it, I think is the point for from where I was watching. And and Bracker's coming on this if you want to, but for me, Ayu is the one that probably could have done with being pulled after 70 minutes. He's just been playing and had the emotional experience of playing for his country at a continental tournament. And then on top of that, you've got Jean-Philippe Mateta, who we must credit for an outstanding, yeah. particularly the first half. I thought he was absolutely brilliant yeah, last night. He's also a player that's probably blowing quite quite significantly. So your point about the outball, Joe, is is bang on. And we just lost it completely. And, yeah. and David Ozo, who I thought had a very good injury time, I thought he was excellent during injury time. But the 10 minutes from 80 to 90, I thought he looked a bit lost and didn't really know where where he was going and being asked to play and what the role he was asked to do. Um, and I think that that was the feeling. And we go back to our point in the first part, you take those two players off, yeah. the gap in quality, particularly in that final third, is well, it's indescribable. It's just such a difference. And even, even you think what we were saying before about how bad Sheffield United were, or nervous how they were defensively, all our good work was being on the front foot, squeezing them back, they would, if they, they won the cross, they would just basically give the ball straight back to us or we were winning it back high. Tight Mitchells, it, Will Hughes was doing really well at that. Even Ayu Mateta. Yes, we are more tired by the time this is all starting to happen. But we went from that kind of positivity, just keeping control of the game. I, was, I said at the time, it was like Scooby-Doo v Scrappy-Doo in terms of just like holding Scrappy-Doo's head and letting him run. It, it felt a bit like that. We, they couldn't get, get near us. Um, but then we immediately, the game just, we went, okay, we let go and said, come on in, give you get a couple of free hits at us. And it just went too deep, too quickly. And that, they nearly I mean, the, did. They nearly the hit, did. Hitting the bar was a real wake up call. I, I, I felt we really ground it out in injury time after that, but there was a little spell there where I think it lost the confidence was just drained from the, the, the ground. Yeah, Brackers, from where, from where you were, obviously that sequence of play which leads to a cross that seems to be deflected off an attacker's head rather than a, a an actual conscious effort to, you know, head the ball in, hits the bar. And then I think within about 15 seconds, Dean Henderson makes a rather extravagant parry where some fans might say that he maybe could have held it. And it was panic stations. In the lower Holmesdale, it was it was becoming carnage. It was all getting a bit a bit peculiar. But what were your thoughts from, you know, your perspective? You're, you're in a different vantage point to where... To where I am, and I think to where Joe is. So, in terms of where you were, did you feel the game changed as perhaps um, obviously as, as maybe I saw it from the lower homes though in just the substitutions, or do you think there was more afoot? Well, it's losing Michael Elisa and Everett Chiesa. It sucked the whole confidence out out of the ground and out of the team. I mean, I, I'd probably go on record say I think when we made those changes that. If you look at a team in League One like Peterborough, they probably had a better wing set of wingers on the pitch most week in, week out than, than we did at, at that time. The squad was the high League One quality in terms we could offer. Obviously, David Ozo should be out on loan somewhere around high League One, bottom end of the championship. It's not it's not good enough for the Premier League. Obviously, Sheffield United are maybe one of the worst Premier League teams that have come to Selhurst Park, but they smelt blood. They knew that there was an opportunity. I even turned to the journalist next to me and I said, I think Palace might end up losing this because you could cut the tension within the ground with a, with a knife. You could tell that everyone was nervous about what was about to happen. The team was nervous, sitting deeper and deeper with every time Sheffield United got the ball. Um, it wasn't fun to watch. It was, in, in some ways, it was probably the most compact we've been all night, though. So that was, that was good. But uh, it yeah. was... Um, 
we sort of reverted back to to what what we'd been missing actually. Um, but yeah, Sheffield United aren't aren't good enough to kill us off, and that's where we got lucky. Um, I think, and, and to add to that, Brackers, for for people that weren't there last night, maybe catching up on on the game late, there was eleven minutes added on because of the injury to the goalkeeper, yeah. which yeah. just adds to the kind of nighttime drama under the lights. You know, nobody wants yeah. a prolonged period of injury time when you're holding on, and we were holding on. Um, and even a manager with as little at his disposal as as Chris Wilder was, he could smell blood. He also seemed to make about 47 substitutions in the second half, which I couldn't quite understand how he still had substitutions. I think it's the concussion yeah, thing, which, yeah, which confused I me. I didn't understand why he took off Ben Brereton Diaz. Was he injured or was he, did, was it because Michael Lise was tearing up that that was it trusty? He trusty absolutely ripped trusty yeah. apart. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely tore him apart. And I think they might have switched it a little bit, sort of double up on him. Yeah. Uh, that that changed us a little bit. And obviously Evze and Elise couldn't get on the ball quite as much. Um but as the clock ticked down, especially as the added time was part up, you could tell these they're just not good enough to do it. And I think the, the players maybe sense that a little bit once once they missed their chance with the header on the on the crossbar. Um it was almost like okay, game done, settle down. David Ozo go press, go run about a little bit like a headless chicken in some parts of it. Obviously wins that good tackle and cheese up the crowd. I'm sure that was a nice moment for There were him, two but, there were two excellent um, bits of play I felt during injury time. One was David Ozo. Uh, in fact two incidents from David Ozo. One he kept the ball in the corner for quite a period of time and did very well and proved how physically capable he is at this level. It's not going to be an issue for him in terms of physicality. He's going to be good to go. And then he also made a very, very well-timed tackle on the halfway line when, when Sheffield United perhaps could have broken clear. But then the other one was Odson Edward, who I thought did really well um, for a period of, of um, that injury time in keeping the ball at the higher end of the pitch for us. But that kind of 30-second instance of the crossbar being clanged and then the, the parry from Henderson... That was probably the worst it got, but as you both say, the the air around the place was was not helped. Um, I do wonder at what point Roy was thinking about bringing James Tompkins on because if the players left the pitch after the full time whistle, James Tompkins was in shorts and socks, and it did make me think if it got to the point where Roy and Ray had felt we need to get James Tompkins on, even if we were still three two up at that point, I think the place might have gone up. <laughs> I think there's an awareness that. Had that equaliser gone in or had, if, if if for whatever reason, circumstances, an accident allowed the ball to go in and we could see the third, we had not, there was not anything on that pitch to get us, go out and get the winner. Then We couldn't respond in the way we would have done in the first half again. That we'd have known that would have been us and yeah, maybe not, they wouldn't, might not have had enough to go in and then beat us, but that, that a goal there would have, that would have just killed us, I think. And we, we said last week, and every other Palace podcast seemed to have said last week, and every other Palace fan that I spoke to last week said, we have to win next Tuesday. Yeah. So in terms of France, and I'm afraid, again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that it's, it just... <laughs> I don't know what the right situation to bring that guy on. I feel for him. feel for him terribly. But I don't know if bringing him on at that point was the right decision. If you're saying, and this is part of the Rob Selzy um, debate that, you know, listeners should go and listen to instead of this, probably. But... The chat they had, Selzy said that the point about not bringing Francer on is because the game was do or die for, for Roy in terms of if we did not win that game, it's highly likely that there would be a very difficult conversation after that game or, or this, this morning. So yeah. Roy is, is able to probably step into self-preservation uh, mode and say, well, I'm not doing what I don't think is the right decision. The argument that, that Rob posed, and it's a fair one, is Jeffrey Schlupp the better option right now? I don't think it's like they're both the right or wrong answer there. Um, 
but it was difficult and it did change the game. But I think the biggest point I took away and driving home, reflecting on it, speaking to my brother and my mate on the way home last night was that you've lost the two best players that you've got in very quick succession. And that was probably the variable that led to the very chaotic end to the game. But hey, we won. We held on. We all said last week that we had to win yeah. and we did win. We have, if relegation is a fear of, of some fans, including us, it's less of a risk right now. Although Luton did themselves no harm by thumping Brighton. Just sorry, I haven't, I haven't mentioned it for 45 minutes. So it's probably best I get it in. But let's let's move on from um, last night. Again, let's let's go back quickly to, to Adam Wilson and Daniel Munoz. Two signings. Munoz has been announced. Wharton, um, we anticipate to be announced tonight or, or very early tomorrow morning. We understand the medicals are done and dusted. Hopefully that's, um, yeah, a case of uh, getting the contract signed and everything being announced. Um, Brackers, you, you touched on the expectation Palace have in terms of Wharton moving forward. They've put a lot of diligence into observing him for a long period of time. There's been communication between the player and, and the Palace as how to, you know, it's a big move for him. He's 19. Moving from, mm. from Blackburn, a club he's been at through their youth system, moving to, to London, it's a big move for him. Palace have been very careful to manage the relations with the family as appropriately as possible too. So in terms of, this isn't just a panic signing, this isn't just a spending of £18 million for the sake of spending £18 million. There's, there is thought and, and a lot of time has gone into this decision to sign him. If I can ask you what your expectations are with Walton between now and the end of the season... Um, and as to whether you would expect to see him start games or whether you'll see, or we will see him be be blooded, if that's the right term, um, with, with 20 minutes, 30 minutes here between now and the end of the season, perhaps with a few starts towards the end of the season. What what are your own expectations as a fan, really, rather than a, on a member of the of the press? Oh, it's a tough one. Uh, as, a, as a fan, I'd obviously like to see him play, but at the same time, I can understand that from watching him play, obviously I saw him at that at that game at the Den where Millwall capitulated uh, against Blackburn to, to miss out on the playoff spot where Adam Wharton actually scored and bravely enough pointed to the back of his shirt in front of the home fans after after he scored against them. He's obviously not shy. Um, I've kept like a sort of eye on him just to see how he's got on. I've watched lots and lots of clips of him to see what sort of player he is. I don't think he's going to come in and fix our midfield. I don't, I, I don't expect him to come in and and to be the the person who helps us stop conceding these these silly errors like the, after 21 seconds or against Brentford where it was cut open very easily or concede five against Arsenal. This is someone who maybe against Sheffield United yesterday when he has his foot on, on the ball can create something from nothing and that's another one, a bit like Eze and Elise we were looking at and thinking this guy has world-class attributes where he can feed other world-class players and he can really help us here. But with the way Crystal Palace are at the moment, with the way we are in the, in the table, with the way the season's gone, and without Sheik Decore, um, I think it's going to be hard for him to, to get many minutes instantly, unless he absolutely comes in and training and Roy can't do anything else other than start him because of how good he's been. Um, so I, I think he's going to be a slow drip feed, and this is very much someone who's going to be a player for the future. Um, but at the same time, Palace put in a real big investment into him. Um, they've watched him numerous times. I'm sure Dougie Freeman's been to watch him loads. So someone very highly rated, someone he's wanted for a long time and he's finally got him. So it's a very exciting signing. Someone I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the Premier League um, on the ball. As the manager said, uh, and as I said earlier, the championship, the drawing of the way he can pick a pass. I was looking at the way, very incisive, the way he can thread the ball through the middle of, 
of a defence really and, and pick out someone. So for Michael Elise darting in the, into the box or out on the right-hand flank, it's an exciting prospect. It's just about how he adapts to it and, and how Palace see best fit to use him. But I would not say he's someone who's going to come in and, and fix our midfield instantly. Born in February 2004, uh, for listeners there, just to kind of indicate, even even Brackers is shaking his head there. Uh, makes me feel old. Sorry. Makes you feel old. <laughs> Um, he wouldn't know so solid crew well. Anyway, um, <laughs> Joe, I will throw to you about Daniel Munoz in a minute because um, I think we, we probably need to talk about him a little bit more. But are, are you surprised um, that we're going to end the window and there's no real indication that we are replacing Chet Decore even on a temporary basis? Would you have expected that piece of business to be done? Because I think as Brackers has just kind of indicated in terms of Walton, he's not that player. He will complement Decore when Decore returns, but he's not that base midfielder the Czech decoré is so, so brilliantly for us. So when the window opened, were you expecting us to do something, if if anything? Yeah, I think the messaging was that we're having to reprioritise our... Upon that, upon that injury, the, the, the messaging was we're going to have to reprioritise what our January window is going to look like because we have to sort a Czech decoré repl- replacement. Um, I don't know who they've scouted in that time. They might have had a succession plan in place for him anyway as soon as there was Liverpool interest in the, back in the summer. I guess with a lot of the big name players, the big price tag players on our team, they're probably having to think about life after them anyway, quite before the interest is even substantial because you need to know who you're going to get in if you don't want to waste any time. So I'm amazed that in that period, there's not maybe the players they've looked at aren't in the market until the summer. Maybe there's just no value in that, in that position of the pitch, which would surprise me a little bit, but perhaps based on what we're hearing, maybe it's a thing where, okay, Lerma can cope there, or if it's not Chris Richards, and here's here's another player that can come in to where Lerma has been doing some of his best work alongside the core, right? and then we, we, we don't look any worse for it. And this is a player that, a bit like Dean Henderson coming in, maybe that's not an area of the pitch that we needed right this second, but it's a good enough deal that we okay. know we'll make, we expect to make money on it. So, when that comes around, we've got to pounce on it because we'll thank ourselves and pat ourselves on the back in six months or 12 months uh, time. I was a little disparaging about Chris Richards earlier on. I didn't think he had a pretty, I thought he had a pretty poor game last night at right back, but yeah. I think it's right to to highlight how positive an impact he's had when playing that, that midfield. And I wonder, as you say, Joe, whether that kind of impacted the thoughts in terms of the club not needing to spend something in the short term when the anticipation is that when Chet Decore comes back, probably at the start of next season by by the point he's fit, he he's the guy. <laughs> like it's very difficult sell to someone to say, come in and you're playing for six months, but we want to sign you to a three year contract. It's a difficult, difficult sell. Let, let's move on quickly to, to Daniel Moon. I was gonna, I was gonna say, oh, go on, I was gonna say yeah. Calvin Phillips was the one they were looking at in terms of to come in and, and to be that person in front of our back four. I think they thought there was a pretty good chance of of getting him. I'm not sure how likely it ever was. And when West Ham show their hand and then can offer him European football, Roy said it made it impossible really for Crystal Palace to compete with them. So that I think that was the one they thought that they could they could do, and he could come in six months. Check the core comes back. We give you some football. Everybody wins. Um, but he chose West Ham. I'm not sure actually how much game time he's he's going to get there. It's quite a competitive midfield he needs to get into. But maybe when he there. saw some some of the banners being held up at Arsenal on the five 0 defeat before he made his decision, <laughs> he probably thought yeah. I'm going to give this one a miss. So, but <laughs> yeah. we've got Adam Morton, very exciting prospect. So I'm I'm excited to see what he can he can do in our midfield. Yeah, you're right, exciting. though. You're right, though, Jack. He's he's 
Decore's injury is in a weird place where we've probably been looking over our shoulders uh, for interest or for, you know trying to fend off interest this summer. Yeah. But the fact that his injury probably doesn't recover fully until into preseason, we might actually get away of the players that may have to go in the summer. I think he's probably kept himself at Palace for another six months, 12 months. Well, it, it, my, my anticipation with Chet Decore was that if he had a full season, that would be his last season in the Palace yeah. shirt. It, he was so good last year and he was so good up to the point where he he uh, he, he fell foul of a horrible injury at, at Kenilworth Road that expectation was that clubs like Liverpool would actually come in and actually start bidding the type of value that, that we associate with him. As you say, but perversely, the injury some, so, somewhat suits Palace in the way it's almost leveraged the opportunity to improve his contract and, and maybe sustain the value of, of a player that is going to be by the by the time next season comes around, approaching halfway through the contract. So, you know, that's all very price of football. I feel very uncomfortable talking <laughs> about money. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, Daniel Munoz, very quickly, I think, you know, again, Brack has touched them in the in the first part in terms of the offer that he's going to bring. But again, Palace doing bits in the transfer market when they have so often been accused of not, and rightly so. Mm. We, we've jested for a long time about the fact that we've rotated three right-backs um, for a period of time. And even when we have spent money on a right-back, um, I don't believe Jack Hunt played a competitive minute for the football club. So no. I think to see the club spend money on a player who, by all accounts, is very talented, is a Colombian international for listeners who aren't aware, a 27 or 28, I think. So he's not yeah. not in the same mould as these kind of you know young chickens that we're signing uh, in other parts of the squad. This is a guy who it's considered is ready to go. Um, and he may well make his bow. We'll talk about the Brighton game in a moment, but he may well make his bow at, uh, at the Amex come, uh, come Saturday afternoon. Yeah, that's it's an acceptable compromise to the model, I suppose. You you can't do that with every single target. There are going to be some instances where you need someone who's ready now and looking at his career. I mean, Genk is pretty decent. Belgian league, going to be in Europe and stuff, but he wants to step up. I think he's aware that he's in his peak and he wants to play at the highest level that he could possibly do. And we're that opportunity for him right now. The The goal contributions was, was mentioned earlier. He scored himself five goals this season mm-hmm. from right back, which I know it's a different level, but it probably tells you the profile of the player, what he's going to offer to this team, what he's tried to. Well, I've not, we've not had an overlapping fullback for four or five years on, on that right-hand side with the best, greatest respect to... He'll get there. The he's getting there. He'll get there. He'll get there. But yeah. it's just not going to be in this 90 minutes. It's yeah, going to be... Yeah. yeah. And so it's... That just unlocks a whole whole world of possibilities. All for all the praise that we've offered and put to Michael Elise and how he's kicked on. And even if you just look at this season alone, often that best work is done without a fullback creating extra space or doing a decoy run on that side, which kind of even this is even worthy of more praise than we've perhaps given him. Because he is just making it on his own without too much help on out out wide. Um so what that might unlock for us as well as beyond just balance, first and foremost, the idea that we don't have to, we can kind of pick either way to go with the ball. Uh, oh, it could be, it could be probably a really significant signing for us and yeah, 27, but for the kind of money spent, makes sense. between eight, eight and 9 million euros, I believe is the, uh, is the payment up to, yeah, Maybe pushing 10, 11 euros once yeah. once he's won the Ballon d'Or, probably. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see how we go with that one. So even, even a club as sort of traditionally frugal as we have been with spending, that's not the sort of fee you're, too, you're not sweating on that much 
You know, that's right. one we could get in. That's that's a deal everybody's happy with. Yeah, it, it suits uh, for now. And I think, as you say, Joe, it's the uh, the appropriate breaking away from the model because it's an area of the pitch that we know we need to improve. Um, you know, even if even if Joel Ward was the answer, he's not fit at the moment, and we don't know when he's when he's due to be back. So, at the moment. I think it's very likely that Daniel Munoz will get minutes almost immediately and it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. Sadly, and I did watch the um, the behind-the-scenes video um, released by the club this afternoon, unfortunately Roy doesn't ask him how his flight was, so that is oh. disappointing. Did go back um, and listen to it just one more time. Go on, Joe. I was going to throw this. He got the Eurostar, didn't he? Did he get the Eurostar? <laughs> yeah, he got the Eurostar, yeah. Roy does love logistics, so, you know, maybe yeah. checking the timetable. Go on, Joe. Um, in terms of this, maybe what this might be factored in. So I don't know if you saw the athletic report that we bid, we, we, well, we spoke to West Ham about potentially signing Ben Johnson off them. I think mm-hmm. can play, I think he's really mostly a fullback, but can play across the back four. Yeah. He is out of contract in the summer. He's 24. Yeah. And perhaps maybe it's like, we need somebody now, but is that somebody will, basically the inquiry with Palace made is that we're going to have a go in the summer, but if we would like to get some money for him, how about now? Uh, which obviously didn't play out that way, but we've got Munoz since I'm, I'm curious as to maybe back as you know, I don't know whether that would have been someone as well as Munoz that we'd have got in, or, or that was just us trying to have our cake, just, you know, trying to get that. It would have been one or the other. Yeah. Brack is any, any yeah. indication whether that was uh, a deal that Palace were looking at as well as Munoz or whether it's a contingency instead of Munoz didn't work out. I'll be completely honest. It's not one I'd, I'd heard of at all before. Right. Before that, I know we'd been we'd been linked to him, and obviously, if you're looking at it, a 24 year old who has Premier League experience um, on a free transfer, and where our right backs are with this current situation in terms of Joel Ward and Nathaniel Klein, 32 and, and 34 respectively, I believe. So, planning for the future instantly with with Ben Johnson, and even as you mentioned, if you brought him in now. Um, could play at left back perhaps if needed. I know Kleine can play at left back as well. So it's just having that options. I know they were keen to bring in a left back, and I think been linked with, with Maxwell Corner, someone we're we're looking at on deadline day. Um, he can play left back as well. So it's clear they're looking for someone even in the summer with Lewis Hall, someone who has the ability to to offer some competition and and some respite even for maybe for Tyree Mitchell. He's both, I think he's probably played most minutes of any Premier League player this season. He's he's been running to the ground in terms of what he's had to give to the to the club. So um yeah, it's no surprise at all that they they've been looking for this fullback cover. Um I'm sure Daniel Munoz in terms of before they didn't get him, Ben Johnson was probably on high on that list as well. I think we'll see uh, Johnson linked with a number of Premier League clubs if that contract extension offer at West Ham doesn't yeah. get signed because he's he's good. He just can't get his his time at West Ham because they've got decent players in those positions. You know, um, well, a European Championship winner at left back now, and they've got Souffal, uh, who David Moyes trusts um, a lot. So Johnson's been unfortunate not to get his chance, but I think he's a real player there. So if he's available in the summer, I hope Palace do look at him. Um, but yeah. It's it. You can't have enough of good players as as we kind of talk every week. So if there's a player that can be bought in at you know relatively low value in terms of transfer outlay, then it's the type of deal that Palace will be looking to do, as well as the uh, types of deal that the Wharton deal is. We're going to draw questions to an end. Just go on, Brackers. I was going to say it's like the Jefferson Lerma signing. It's, it's the type exactly of signings like we need to be making to, to bolster this squad. It's if we had an experienced winger who had the same sort of not pedigree, but maybe like 
just a little bit more Premier League experience than Mateus Francher and even Ahamada have in terms of attacking options. They'd be in this team sort of week in, week out at the moment. So that's, not that this is a West Ham podcast, deal. but I am surprised that we've not looked at Saeed Benrahma. I am surprised that. Oh, yeah, I would have. I would have had him. Yeah. I like him, but anyway, this isn't this isn't up the hammers or whatever their podcast is called. So yeah. Yeah, we'll forget about that. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's still te- it is still technically Palace related because you know he's he's going he's to go to Leon. Leon. Yeah. So you know yeah. it all ties in. Keep, all keep it, keep it, keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. Eagle, we're an Eagle Holdings podcast, aren't we? We're not a Crystal <laughs> Palace podcast. Um, final question this week, and it's a, a bit of a change of topic, but a very nice message from. Uh, Oshua Jars is the, uh, the the handle name on, on Instagram. Um, and he asks, what is the best time to see a home game? Start of the season, end of the season. Um, I'd be traveling over from Canada and looking to add this into our trip, but not sure the best spot in the calendar to go. Um, also, will you guys have a pint with me when I visit? On me, he says, uh, in answer to the last one, yes, that's fine. We definitely have a pint with you. It'd be lovely to meet you when you do come over. So if you do come over, let us know. But in terms of time of the year and if you wanted to have the best experience at Palace, just very quickly, Joanne Brackers, what is your favourite type of... Forget the result, forget the context. Mm. What type of circumstance going to Palace kind of gets the juices flowing more than more than others? I, the, the My favourite is Sellers... Playoff sellers on like a, a Friday night or something like that. Oh, it, it, there's often an evening game and and it's it's hot and it's the, the atmosphere is hot. It's and it's pumping and there's something to not just something to lose but something to gain and it's really exciting. Um, be outside of that context because obviously you're not going to have that option. Um, the, the question I I would say the start of the season. It's you know the, the weather's nice. Um, there's still hope in you know. There's so many variables in terms of how Palace will get on for the remainder of the season. Everybody's in a good mood unless there's been a horrible summer. So anything can happen. <laughs> yeah. So anything can happen. So that you start the season fresh and new. Everyone's got optimism, or they should do, about what could possibly happen over the next nine months. And also, there's a few people normally on holiday, so you could probably get a ticket if you're visiting. Yeah, it's a good shout. Yeah, in terms of yeah opportunity for tickets, then I haven't really thought about that one. Yeah, good, good shout. Uh, Brackers? Well, I've been thinking about what my favourite game was last year. It's actually Fulham away in terms of with the weather and everything. Crazy yeah. doesn't help. Doesn't help. But it's still in London. So yeah. when are we playing them this time around? It's Craven Cottage. End of, oh, end of so April. Oh, end of yeah, April. Don't, don't worry, mate. That one's been uh, ringed in the calendar. Yeah. That's happening I'll, again. I'll be, I'll be on a boat. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be in the Brit yeah, in, the, in the sun is, is is one of the best places to watch football in the Premier League. It is, yeah, it's perfect. So if you can yeah. if you can get yourself an away ticket, I'd I'd recommend that one. That's a great shout. It's a bit different. Help, but, For me, it's yeah. different to, to Joe's answer in terms of home game. My favourite period is kind of after the clocks have gone back and it's just getting dark. Put your big coat on, go and watch the palace. But more to do with just being inside a pub and not feeling too bad about it because you've got to be inside at that time of the year. But yeah, yeah to be honest, and I, I you know. Joshua, let's, I don't know if that's code for Joshua, but Joshua, if you are listening, um, any time is a good time, but particularly for your first game. Um, and, and as you've offered, um, the pint will be on us if you do make the trip over. So um, let us know if you do get that booked in the diary, but yeah, there's no bad time of year to come and see Palace. Um, and uh, you're welcome anytime, my friend. Yeah. Make, um, make, yourself, make yourself known. I, I, I think like as a, I think the fan groups that we have for, with the bickering and infighting and what people think of each other, getting in touch with them isn't too difficult. And 
you'll find that they're all separately very welcoming and hospitable Absolutely. and particularly to even to visiting fans it's not that tribalistic so yeah the, the, you you yeah whatever you come will as a as a fan base will make sure you have a good time you'll have a good time um yeah bright lights big city of south norwood going to be going to be blinding anyway um thank you for your questions this is again um as i said at the top of that part we do read everything that's sent through to us and it gives us real clear indication of what you guys want us to cover so Join us in part three for three, two, one, um, and hopefully a slightly more positive game this week than last week. Welcome to part three of this week's FYP podcast, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. And uh, touched on it in the previous part, also, a shout-out to our patrons. Thank you for your continued support. If you're not a patron and would like uh, some some extras um, that the patrons receive, such as post-match podcasts with the aforementioned Adam Sells, Dominic Fifield, and the like, please visit F, uh, Sorry, please visit patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Okay, time for 321 this week, and I think we can probably guess some of the names that are going to be mentioned, but Joe, hopefully an easier game to play than we had to... Last week, yes, very much so. I, I, I don't want to. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm actually going to pick a player that I'm glad you, you were worried wouldn't get a mention on the pod. I, I, I will give him his flowers right now. I thought John Philippe Mateta was excellent. Uh, that's very kind of you, Joe. But I think it's a fair shout. Yeah, go on, give give uh, give JP some love. Yeah, you know. Uh, if you were actually to go back and look at his, despite his frame, you look at his highlights, the goals he scored for Mainz that got him the move to Palace. He was free scoring, but it was very much a profile of a striker that gets in behind, picks his, picks his finish. Um, and I think his physicality offers much more than that. And even if you look at most of his Palace goals, it's not a lot of physical aerial threat. Certainly not really for us. Um, but that 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 performance was. I mean, you saw it at Man City as well, actually. But this was another performance where he used his body really well, held the ball up, and made the game better and more open for others around him. Which we're kind of used to a profile striker. I think at Palace, we don't get free scoring strikers. We're at peace with that, most of us. Um, but the best ones we do have, even if they're not scoring for long periods of time. They're making the game better for the others around them. Um, I would throw Cameron Jerome as a recent example of that, even at 10 yeah, years ago yeah. now. Um, yeah. What, two league goals all season? But yeah. Punchin and Balazzi really, and Shamak really benefited from him. And Glenn Murray, to a lesser extent, Glenn Murray was the perfect striker because he got the goals as well. But he had a great time the way he would play. He wasn't necessarily someone you would call strong, but always found a way to work well with the with the players around him. I thought Mateta was dealt, you know, what are Sheffield United going to offer? They're going to, they're Brilliant. probably going to, yeah, that's that's the game they're probably hoping to be given when they turn up at Sellhurst. John, Mateta matched them fully and was winning the ball off them, was holding the ball off away from them and he was busy and he was involved. He was a, a mistimed back heel away from a, a, a really great goal in the, in the, in the penalty area which I'm going to forgive him for. But beyond that, 
I'm, I'm going to try. I, I can't avoid the jokes of well, it is it is the last week of the window because that is when he plays his best. Always has been. Um, but I, you've got to give credit where it's due. I, I almost didn't want to because I know that he's he's going to stay in a podium position probably on three, two, one because I think he still is in the top three. Uh, but when he does play well, it is really noticeable how much of a difference it makes to our attacking play. I think it's a, it's a legit shout, Joe. I think. There were, there were moments last night where you saw exactly what you want in this Palace team for the number nine. <clears throat> there were there were times when the balls played into him, and he made a, he made the team another five ten yards by his strength, holding the defender off. Yeah, and that gave the chance for Elise, particularly coming from you know the the wing coming it gives him a bit more time to join the attack, and he played really well. I thought the first half in particular, um, he was outstanding, and I think he's um, as you put it worth his flowers. So I'm, I'm glad. He's got a name check. Um, Brack, is there anything to add on, on JP before I let you uh, nominate your contribution for 3-2-1? I think he's thriving off the confidence of starting games and having the backing from the manager that he's the number one striker at the moment. He just looks reborn in terms of the way he's moving his sort of body. Um, and I think he's feeling the love from the fans as well. I think he's, I thought he was excellent yesterday, really pinning sort of Sheffield United's defence. Um, obviously, Real Betis are, are keen and weighing up a sort of bid for him. They obviously have the money after selling Luis uh, Henrique to, to Botafogo, John Texter's team. Um, as far as I can sort of understand at this minute in time, I don't think he'll be going anywhere. It's Roy Hodgson's first choice striker, and it would also depend on Crystal Palace bringing another in. Um, so I don't add, what well, are we? 9.20 on Wednesday evening. I'm not sure that's going to happen at this minute in time, but things can change quickly. So by the time this pod goes out, he might have gone, but no, I don't I don't think it's going to happen. There's so. two things about JPM. One is he obviously loves his time of year, as we jest, um, but two, he loves a cult goal. And where do we go on Saturday? It's, it, it could be the perfect he, combination. He'd be a cult figure if he left tomorrow, wouldn't he, in terms of what he's brought to the football club? 100%. With, with goals. I think the yeah. goals he scored... You know, you talk about the den, talk about the the uh, back heel at the Amex. He scored some really pivotal goals, and then you talk about the importance of the goal against Leicester last year, and it's just like the guy is the guy is cult. And um, if he left tomorrow, we'd probably miss him. Which, given some of the feedback we've given him on this podcast, is is astounding to be quite honest. But I thought he played really well last night. And another thing about him, the clubs he gets linked with is so eclectic. The mix of clubs. Eintracht Frankfurt to Real Betis. You know, I've seen Marseille link with him at different points of, of his time at Palace. Like he's, he, his agent works bloody hard. Yeah. So fair play to JPM and fair play to his agent. That's what I would say. Um, the thought of the thought of him. The thought, I see Leverkusen amongst those names, and the thought yeah. of Harry Harry Kane scoring forty Bundesliga goals and missing out on the title to John Philippe Matessas. Because one went in off JPM's arse or <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. 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 Oh, that, that it makes me chuckle. I'd, 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 yeah, I'd rather he stayed and and you know, or we had some extra help for him. But yeah, that would that that image does add add the form that he's in at the moment to the fact that other players have gone on the record and and how much he's loved amongst the player staff. I think he's clearly a good fit, and it would take a lot for him to to be replaced easily. Um, not just the quality. There's obviously the the kind of person element to it. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if we saw JPM leave this side of eleven o'clock tomorrow. Brackers, your um, your nomination for three, two, one. Uh, I haven't thought about it, so come back to me. <laughs> Fine. Well, I, I will pick one of the two very low hanging fruit. Um, and I talked about Ebbs a little bit, so I'm I'm, I'm going to 
pick Michael Elise because I just want to talk about him for a little bit. I, I just think everything he does is just great. There was a pass that was played to him at about kind of rib height yesterday in the early part of the second half. Terrible pass. Can't remember who put it to him. Chris Richards or Will Hughes, that part of the pitch. And he just plucked it out of the air as if it was nothing. And I don't think it led anywhere. I think it very quickly went out for a throw in uh, and it will be forgotten in, in the, in the mists of time, but just summed him up that everything he does is class and his goal Again, I think we haven't, like, we haven't spoken about. We haven't by the spoken way. about his goal. Like it was so brilliant that it took a lot of fans by surprise. But you know, in the lower home still, sorry to talk about where I'm from, but it's at the other end of the ground, and you're just thinking, "Wow, that's quite a goal." And then you're like, "Oh, I should probably be celebrating a little bit more than than I actually am." The technique is it's it's as if he's wrapped his foot around a ball that's on the ground, which would be an amazing finish in itself. But he's done it with the ball three foot off the air. Like, sorry, three foot off the ground. It's sensational technically. And sorry, Lister, you're probably bored of me saying this, but for me, if we see this level of performance continue, even just up to the end of this season and we part ways at the end of this season, I think it's going to be fair to say in the future that while Wilfred Zaha is the club's greatest ever player, Michael Lise could very well go on to be the greatest player that's ever played for Palace because it's just unbelievable levels from the guy week in, week out. And he hasn't played for four weeks. And he started the game like a train last night. And look, I, we'll talk about Brighton in a minute. But, but I mean, if he's fit, if they're both fit on Saturday, we go with a real shot. And I just want to see him rip them apart once before he leaves us. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen that yet, I don't think. Uh, he got the assist against them in, in the home game in December, but it was a fairly subdued performance. And I don't really want to talk about that evening because it was a little bit, a bit weird and, and we kind of let Brighton but, uh, give us you know their, their level of performance. But yeah. If he can go there on Saturday, it could talk about cult moments with JPM. If he goes there and rips it up on Saturday and he's in the form to do so, all the stats are showing. I think it's, you know, beyond doubt now that he's one of the best performing players in in, in Europe, let alone England right now. Just let the boy go and do whatever he does because he's utterly sensational. And I'll, I'll leave it there before I start crying or something because it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous how much how much love I have for him. I thought he'd be good when we signed him. When we when we got that deal for eight million pounds from Reading, I'd seen him enough during lockdown at Reading, and thought, wow, that that kid's he's talented. I thought he'd be good. I had no dream that he was going to be this good. It, it's watching one of the best players in Europe play for your team right now, and I just wish he was fit, fitter for for longer and for longer periods of time. But one absolute joy to watch, um, and, and long may it continue. Yeah, yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. That was that was yeah, yeah, very good. To... My heart is warm. All, all I all I say is you you heard the collective oof round the ground when the goal was shown back on on yeah. uh, on the big screen. So that's that's all you need to know about how sweet the strike was. It, it was. I didn't. I hadn't properly seen it back until um, this afternoon. Actually, I hadn't seen anything until I got back from from a work appointment. But um, just a great goal. I thought I thought Ebb's goal was great. And it is it probably is better than Elise's because of it's his weaker foot. But the technique on Elise's is probably lost a little bit because of the game it was. It, it probably won't be picked up if that was against Chelsea or Spurs or a London derby or something like that. It probably would get a little bit more coverage. But fantastic goal. But it's probably not even his best goal of the season. Well, it's not, is it? Because the goal at Luton was no, <laughs> was, yeah. was astounding. Um, Brackers, you've had your time. I've I've you know waxed lyrically to the point of tears about a player. So um, over to you for the the final nomination this week for three two one. 
Uh, I'll, I'll give it to Zebrichiezo, uh, only because of his brace, uh, obviously. Um, I think you're right in what you said earlier, Jack, in terms of I don't think he was truly sort of impacting the game as much as potentially he could have at the start. And then he gets the goal, pulls out that second sublime finish. As I mentioned, I think the, the defending was slightly questionable in terms of the closing down space, but still an excellent finish on his weaker foot. And he's had a tough time of it late as well. Season stop started by injuries, hampered. Um, in games, he's been the sort of only player able to do something with the football, and that's limited and must have frustrated him. He's sort of looking for that outlet with Michael Elise. And when the two of them together, I think I said it in my match report, it's like a superhero duo coming to, to rescue the city. And then their kryptonite strikes and injury sort of hampers them again. So it's um, when they're on the pitch and on, on a free flow sort of ability, it's, it's a joy to watch. And Everett Shezze likes playing against Sheffield United and he continued that, that trait very well last night. Um, the only thing I'd sort of say is I think Mateta's overall performance in terms of what he gave to to the squad might might just pip it for me. But um, yeah, Everett Shezze was excellent as well on the night. Yeah, yeah fair shout. I think um, nobody's more frustrated by a stop-start season than, than the man himself. I think you can tell that. But yeah, him against Sheffield United, they must have done him some dirty deals in the past or something because <laughs> he gets the bit between his teeth Joe anything to add on on Ebbs um, just just on that Sheffield United thing I, I didn't see it but the someone I was sat near um, team suggests that he was being applauded by the Sheffield United fans after the, his second goal which just tells you they've gone past the point of fear and are now yeah, probably yeah. just in uh, you know what can you do about that Chris Wilder after the game was pretty uh what was interesting, not not only not only praised kind of the, the level of those two players and said, look, Palace wouldn't accept 50 million for each. So we haven't got players in our team like that. And when they're on song, there's not much you can do. But you kind of name check Dougie Friedman and, and yeah. like, so which kind of offers a little hint into perhaps their history and job, you know, maybe how close he might have got to the Palace job in the past and, and whatnot. I thought it was very interesting. But yeah, the envy of all clubs around us and some higher. Uh, and when they, I, f- I find they work best as a pair, Ebbs and Elise. Uh, what, one helps out the other in terms of, you know, it's like having your mate in your feet. You're, you, when you're in primary school, maybe you pass to your mate a lot more than everybody else. And they've seemed to have brought that up right up to the top level of football, but the team is much better for it. And, and so are they, it's not just, it's not just aesthetic aesthetic. They are genuinely have end product with it on top of that, which is consistently, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Their stats are good individually, but their goals are contributing towards Premier League wins. And that's the, that's the biggest compliment you can pay to their winning Premier League football matches yeah. by themselves in some instances. So yeah, amazing. Um, and uh, we'll get onto the Brian game in a minute, but I'm, I'm excited. Provided the two of them are fit, I'm, I'm excited to see what the two of them can do. Let's do the points. I mean, Ed, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you that, Despite scoring a brace, I think um, I'm not against the notion of giving Ebbs one. Um, Joe, your man Mateta for the two, or, or do you do you want to argue Ebbs' case for t- two points for two goals? I, 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 as good as Mateta played, I would still. I think Ebbs. I just I've done, this is just engine, engineering the the table into the a way that's two. more tolerable. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Ebbs Ebbs gets at least two points. I, okay. I can't. I feel, I feel like uh, it's fair. It's, Mateta's thing is inflated slightly on that, or more than slightly. So I, I feel like 
let's uh, artificially artificially keep him down. As, as I said, the biggest prize is is the match winning element to it, and and Ebbs's two goals did ultimately win the two games last yeah. night. So so let okay, that's fine. Let's let's do Mateta for for one. Uh, despite scoring the two goals, Ebbs for two, and, and Michael Elise for for three. I like it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, um, I can sleep well with that one. Can so. sleep well, Frackers. Good man. Good man. Any other uh, honourable mentions? Do, do you think? I thought Tyree Mitchell had a fairly good game yeah. last night. That's I, who I had in mind. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think he's come under the microscope a few times this season, and I think that's often because there's no one to compare him to. He's literally one man against himself in that you just want him to improve, and there's the strive to be better than he was the previous week. But he wasn't up against much last night. But what he was up against was their best player, McAtee, who I thought was was decent and is the type of player that you think if, you know, City are looking for another loan next year, maybe that's another exploitation of the loan market that we could we could do. But defensively he got in the way when he needed to get in the way. Um and, and I was I was pleased for him. Um but yeah, another transfer window passes by. No other left back at the club. So on uh, on tie for the rest uh, of the season it be it. I think our other left back has just scored for Molenbeek. There you go. Blimey. There you go. Is that his first professional check, his first professional goal for Adam? Looks Moran, like they've given it to someone else actually. Oh for uh, God. Uh, oh, gives with one and takes away with the other. Bloody old Brackers. Yeah, um, sorry. No, Apologies. all good. Yeah, but tie would be uh, mine. Anyone else for you, Joe? Brackers? Uh no, Mitchell would have been mine as well. I thought he had a very solid game. Um not not too much for him to deal with in terms of Sheffield United's attacking threat, but I thought what he did, he did it very well. Um, I'm hoping that with the, the team balancing it out, with Daniel Munoz coming in in terms of what both fullbacks can offer, I hope it's going to allow Mitchell to push forward a little bit more and join in on the attack. So I think having that sort of attacking right back is just going to help the team out massively. It's a, it's a, it's a key area that Crystal Palace have addressed there. So it's a really good signing. Yeah, excellent stuff. Okay, that's the end of uh, part three. Um, oh, sorry, there was one comment from Me Soul Jazz um, who added, amazing talent on the pitch, just enjoy them before they end up with the money bag clubs. Um, it's a fair comment, and I think hopefully 3-2-1 uh, between now and the end of the season will give us plenty of chance to talk about both those two players, but hopefully we're continuing the conversation into next season because we want to see them in red and blue for as long as possible. Okay, let's uh, let's leave it there for part three, and we'll do um, a, a quick preview of... Um, Quite a big game of the weekend. Welcome back to the final part of this week's FYP podcast, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. After all of that, it's time to look ahead to this Saturday's trip to the South Coast and visit a Brighton side fresh from being battered by Brighton on Tuesday evening. Um, that's probably the third and final mention. I'll do well to get another mention of it in, but they were thumped 4-0 last night and did not come back despite conceding a goal to a newly promoted team within a minute. It's not for everyone, Brighton fans. Anyway, uh, Brackers, we've talked about it a little bit, but do you expect to see any new faces start on Saturday? I'd like to see Daniel Munoz come straight into the team. Yeah, I thought it was strange that, Tyra, uh, that Nathaniel Klein was was dropped unless there was some sort of injury situation there and perhaps that's on one for me to ask Roy Hodgson in the pre-match press conference on Friday um I thought it was strange to see Chris, Chris Richards at, at right back up as we mentioned I think we he was at sort of fault for, for their first goal so um I'd be hoping with 
Daniel Munoz having played, unlike Mateus French, who was in and out of the team at, yeah. at um, Flamenco, and obviously Flamenco, a, youngster yeah. as, a, a youngster as well. Daniel Munoz is primed to start straight away for Crystal Palace and full-blooded into challenges, full-blooded going forward, no better game to to throw him straight into than Brighton away. It could be a, a real sort of cauldron for him. It'd be perfect. So, yeah, him, hopefully. And Adam Wharton on the bench as well would be a, a nice surprise. Someone I think Brighton have been linked to in the past. So if he wants to come on and, and thread a through ball for Jean-Philippe Mateta to score, it's written in the stars already. So Manifest it. Manifest it, Brackers. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, we're, we're going to a team, you know, take away the whole Palace-Brighton element to it. We're going to a team who are on the back of a of a thumping and, and, and actually have... Quite a, a poor record at the moment in terms of league wins. I think it's three league wins in 16 league matches, which... Um, that's you know, Palace form, that is. Says Palace form, yeah. Um, that's the type of form where if other things weren't going to plan, such as a run into the knockout stages of a European competition and the blooding of you know, this continual uh, merry-go-round of talented younger players that are kind of um, yeah being blooded into English football, that a manager might come under the, the microscope. Amongst those other 13 games, though, there's a lot of draws. They're not losing um, a whole ton of them, but they did lose on Tuesday. Oh, I've mentioned it twice in 30 seconds. There you go. 4 0 at Kenilworth Road, and they got thumped. So, Joe, do you expect us to play against a wounded animal or continue to see a, a team really struggling in terms of, of their league form? Well, I, I, I never, in, in these kind of games, I never expect our opponent to turn up anything other than fully prepared. I mean, I, our visit there last season was a great example of us looking re- like you know ready for ready for the taking really um but even even that despite that I, I wouldn't expect that of brighter i don't think they're at that point yet you're right as bad as that what uh, win percentages let's say of their run it's it does involve a lot of draws in there uh whereas ours there's a lot of games that we should have won that we've thrown away there so i'm at least a little bit more confident not based on Tuesday's overall performance but certainly we're going going there you know uh, we were at a lot we were all over the place by the time we got to Brighton last season this season our best team out I know we could go there and give them a game and that's all you really want uh, going to this place I've gone there a lot I've seen very mixed results mixed performances Um, I and uh, very often it's us backs against the wall I think you know the the comical one was the Benteke last minute, but then you've also got the IU winner just you know a couple of weeks before weeks lockdown. Before lockdown, yeah, yeah. Where even in that game, I think we've got Gyro at fullback, and we are. That's another game where we're uh, holding on for dear life and and they're nicking something. Yeah, I I don't think we approach the game like that this time. You know, maybe we naturally fall into that depending on the options that are available at two o'clock on Sat uh, on Saturday. But um, I. I'm okay, and I, again, I agree with Brackers. I do hope Munoz is in. If I was to speculate on the Richards right back, a position that Roy has tried his hardest to not play him in, I probably think quite rightly. I figured, and I think Selzy mentioned it in the post-match pod too. Mm. I think there was an expectation that they were going to hit diagonals to Diaz. Diaz. Klein's not the shortest, and I can't remember what game it was where Klein was targeted by a, a tall wide player recently. It might have been Everton. I can't well, remember. I remember Plymouth away at the start of the season. Klein yeah, Plymouth away. Yeah, got done. So, yeah. yeah, I think yeah. Hodgson is, is mindful of that. I think what we didn't plan for yesterday was a ball zipped across the pitch, which was the, probably the biggest issue for, yeah. for Richards. But I wouldn't expect him to play. I think he'll either return yeah. to, to Klein or, or 
expecting to see Daniel Munoz make a debut. What a way to make your Palace bow. Yeah, that's not that's not no pressure, is there, Blumenau? I mean, but by the sounds of it, it's the type of profile of player that uh, you've heard of who he is. It's sort of atmosphere, sort of occasion that he'll relish. Hopefully, not too much and lose his head, but. Uh, you know, it might throw Brighton by surprise as well, you know, for all the preparation they can do. That's how if, you do become a cult hero, Joe, if you lose your head in your debut against Brighton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's walk, if he's walking off the 27 minutes, that could be a fun one. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, if, if if he's on for the 90, or at least gets we get a good hour out of him, I think for all the preparation that Brighton can do about us and, and anal- analysis on us, what can they really know about, uh, as much as we do, about, you know, oh, Palace have actually got balanced fullbacks and they can attack from both sides. That's enough to put put their left side in, into two minds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mitoma not had the same season this year as he did last, but that's quite the test for someone whose highest level has been the Belgian league either way. Yes, it's going to be an introduction um, for him at some point. You'd imagine even if he doesn't start, he may well feature. Um, I was trying to figure out the last time we played Brighton anywhere at well away I recall us playing them at home at three o'clock a, a few years ago when um when we three two at half time 2018 yeah. Roy's first season 2018 yeah did we or have we played them at three o'clock at their place I can't recall it in my palace supporting when, lifetime when when we lost three nil wasn't it and David Lopez was that that was a Sunday morning that, that was Easter was Sunday, Sunday, yeah. morning, it was Easter right. Sunday. Yeah. yeah okay um, God, the, the, was, we have played Saturday when the Apple mentioned IU. That was bad. Yeah. Um, it's all right. We something happened a few weeks later. Because it's it's all good. Yeah. It works itself out. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, it raised their expectations of anything. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Um, but the the Jordan IU winner just before lockdown. That was a twelve thirty kickoff. So yeah. I, I think this is the first three o'clock at Brighton. Whether that's the Goldstone, the Withdean, um, or the Amex since before the nineties is my is my Very guess. Good. And I wonder how much of that, you know, I'm sure there's security reasons for some of the kickoff times. Yeah. But TV have gone, nah, you're okay this yeah. time. They've seen we've it served, enough. We've, yeah. served up, we've served up some stinkers for them <laughs> in this fixture. I've got to say, very rarely has it been one for the neutral. Everyone keeps tuning in to work out this rivalry and they're never rewarded for it. So I can understand how they've left it alone this time. Joe, I presume you're doing it on Saturday. I am, and yes. I haven't made up my mind whether to do a different route as a result of this traditional Saturday three o'clock because I'm normally rushing in from after work or, uh, you know, just having to get in and out, you know, get get free bridges and get the train and then avoid avoid all the grief of the kettles at, at, on the beachfront and all that. It's just I, I've done it, not not don't love it, and I still keep going back, but I'm, I'm maybe pondering whether coming. Come in your direction, maybe. I know you do with Lewis or something Lewis, like that. I think, yeah, I think uh, there's a few nice Sussex towns that might have pockets of Palace fans filter into them right. from, say, 11.30 on Saturday ahead of kickoff. But I'm, I'm expecting the novelty of the fixture has probably worn off for all parties concerned, and yeah. I'm hoping it's a pretty typical three o'clock kickoff. But it'll be policed heavily. It always is. It needs to be, I guess, from, from certain angles. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. But in terms of on the pitch... I'm more positive than I was when I booked my ticket a few weeks ago, yeah. which I did against every better instinct I had. Brackers, are you there on a on a professional basis? Of course, yeah. They um Good they man. like to stick the South London they like to stick the South London press right at the top, which is actually quite an interesting view. It feels like you're watching sort of chess pieces move move around a pitch. So uh, 
Yeah, I'll be uh, up to up to Edmund after the game. Up to Edmund, yeah, nice. And if the game's not to your liking, just have a look out across the downs. Quite a nice view. So, <laughs> yeah, um, gents, thank you so much for for joining uh, this week. It's been a pleasure talking things over with you both. Um, fingers crossed, we're we're chatting next week um, about all sorts of wonderful things. Adam Morton's fantastic debut, Daniel Munoz's fantastic goal line clearance, all sorts of things. Who knows what we might be talking about. Um, but Roy, that's Roy, what Palace Roy's really new, does for you. Roy's new contract. Roy's new contract. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Roy's new contract. Yes. Sorry, listener. We, we wanted to say, that's just breaking news, I'm afraid. But uh, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll see how we go um, at Palace, um, uh, sorry, at Brighton on Saturday. And um, there'll be a midweek pod next week uh, ahead of the, uh, is that, what have we? Chelsea. Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea, Monday. of course, on the, the, the Monday night Monday. game, yes. Two, two Mondays on the spin we're going to have, I think. I was wondering, yes, of course, yeah. I was wondering whether that was going to be one of the FA Cup weekends, but it's not. The FA Cup is now midweek, isn't it? So we're not suffering um, as a result. But we'll be back with a midweek pod um, before that Chelsea game, reflecting on the Brighton game and, and maybe um, analysing the uh, the last dying embers of the transfer window to see if any drama uh, occurred. But um, Rob and the gang will be back with you after the Brian game on Saturday in a post-match pod. Again, if you're not a patron and would like such delights, patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. But gents, thank you so much. Joe Brackers, Brackers, we'll let you get on with um, what's going to be a busy last 24 hours of the transfer window for you. But thank you both. And um, yeah, listener, thanks for sticking with us. Hopefully uh, a slightly more pleasing listen than, uh, than some previous weeks. Cheerio. Podcast Network.